Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the Combine is just around the corner. We're going to dive deep into that next week here on the show. But until then, I've got two guests lined up for you in today's episode. We're going to start things off with Greg Cosell and Pick 6, where Greg and I are going to go through six more players that he has studied over the last couple of weeks on film. Again, we're going to cover three positions, two players each, and we're going to kind of juxtapose player A against player B and really kind of talk big picture about three different spots. Again, wide receiver, linebacker, and quarterback. So we'll cover that there with Greg and Pick 6. After that, Saturday scouting, Ben Fennel. We're going to do a little bit of a peek at our buddy Dane Brugler's Top 100, which just dropped this week over on The Athletic. And then we've also got a new mock draft from Todd McShay from ESPN. We'll cover that here at the end of the segment. Before we get there, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got questions, mock drafts, rankings, whatever question that you've got here, uh, we will answer it. We'll address that here on an upcoming episode in our draft mailbag segment. That said, let's get into Pick 6 with Greg Cosell. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, back again for another segment of Pick 6, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Cosell. And Greg, we're going to talk through six more players uh, that you've been doing the uh, doing the work on here as we uh-huh. get ready for the 2023 Combine. And we're going to do three positions, uh, two players at each position. We're going to go first to wide receiver, where... Um, I'm interested to hear, get your thoughts here on Marvin Mims from Oklahoma. This is a guy that uh, you and I have both been studying for the last couple of years because he really burst onto the scene for the Sooners as a true freshman, taking over for Marquise Brown, um, has played in a couple different offenses now. What are your thoughts on Marvin Mims from Oklahoma? Yeah, I mean, he's one of those kind of vertical guys. I mean, he's small, he's thin-framed, but he's fluid. He's got straight-line speed. Um, I think you'd say he's vertically explosive. Um, I think he's one of those movement guys. You want to get him on vertical routes. You want to get him on crossers, overs, uh, seam routes. Um, we've seen him line up both outside and inside, so he's he's able to do that. Um, I would think just looking at his and I, you know we don't have the exact numbers yet, but just looking at his frame, uh, you know he doesn't look like a physical guy, so I'm not sure he's going to work consistently between the numbers and inside the hashes. I think he's at his best when he's has free access off the ball and can kind of build up his speed. Um, you didn't really see a whole lot of him working against press, against press man, so I think that's a question that must be addressed and ultimately answered if you're thinking about drafting him. Um, I don't think his 2022 tape, and I watched him in 2020 and 2021, as I know you've seen him for yep. the last couple of years, Fran. I, I don't know that his 2022 tape showed much beyond the fact that he's a vertical receiver. And, um, you know, a lot of his vertical catches this past year were busts. So so it was a little bit hard to tell. Um, uh, so, you know, he certainly has accelerating long speed. I, I'm curious as to what teams think he might be two, three, four years down the road. Yeah, and to your point, you know, you said earlier that he's played both inside and outside and was used in you know different ways from that freshman year where he was a freshman All-American and second-team All-Conference as a true freshman for Lincoln Riley. And then they moved him more to the inside as a yep. sophomore. Um, I, I haven't done the 22 tape yet. I know you, you have, as you mentioned. Um, what always stood out to me about Mims, though, and even as, as a young player – his finishing ability, his ball tracking down the field over the shoulder, he, he has got that in his bag. Like, I don't know if he's yes. going to be like a pure 4-3 kind of like vertical threat, but I do think that uh, this guy is at his best tracking the ball downfield and finishing, and then uh, I think it's now about like getting you there. Like Late in the down, I'm not worried about him at all. Now I want to see, like, all right, can you be a, a consistent separator? Do you have the ability to get off press coverage? That's going to then dictate uh, how we're going to use you in the NFL, but I, I did think that that was a feather he definitely had in his cap was uh, he was a really good finisher on the football down the field. No, and I made that point. I said vertical dimension with the speed to run by and get on top of corners, track the deep ball effectively. So there's no question uh, that he can do that, and he certainly has accelerating speed. He can get from 0 to 60 in a heartbeat. Um, and you made the what I think is the exact right point. Is he more than that? Can he become yep. more than that? Because if that's what he is, hey, there's always a place for that guy in the NFL but that's not a number one or, or sometimes not even a number two. It's it's just a, a specific trait that every team would love to have. 
but it's it's not really a guy you're counting on every single week to be a foundational part of your pass game. So let's get to our second player. And honestly, you couldn't get more different in terms of uh, the profile, the body type from going from Marvin Mims, who's 5'11", 184. We talked about how he jumped onto the scene as a true freshman and, uh, you know, he's uh, all American and all Big 12. Then you go to Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss, who he's over six foot one. He's 226 pounds. He's got long arms. He's got huge hands. Uh, This is a guy that really was not productive at all until this year as a senior. He was always a star, a, a presence in that Ole Miss offense, but really played you know, third and fourth fiddle to some of the other weapons they've had down there with the Rebels until this year where he really became their go-to threat. Uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts here on Jonathan Mingo. Yeah, I like Jonathan Mingo's tape a lot, and I just watched it this year, um, but the more I watched him, the more I liked him. I mean, I thought he was one of the most intriguing receivers, and I've not seen them all, obviously. You know, we're just starting. Um, but I think he has a really good traits profile. Size, stride length, physical strength, competitiveness, <clears throat> formation versatility. Um, I don't know what he'll run, but he's smooth. He's got strong hands. He's got competitive run-after-catch traits. You can line him up in multiple locations within the formation, including the backfield. Um, There's a physical presence to his game. Um, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say he's Debo Samuel because Debo is a great NFL player, but I think stylistically they're similar. Um, and again, I don't want people just to take away from who listen to this and say, oh, you, th- you think he's Debo Samuel, you're crazy. You know exactly what I mean. I'm not saying that he's going to step into the league and be Debo Samuel, but their size, the way in which they play, stylistically similar. Um, and I-, I think that he's an ascending prospect, personally. Yeah, I, what stood out to me, you know, you talk about the size uh, and certainly the way that he was, again, kind of getting back to Mims, like the way that he was able to be a finisher, a proven ball tracker down the field. I thought he was really consistent in that area of the field. Um, you know, I think that he showed some reliability at the catch point. I wanted to see him be, be a little bit more nuanced uh, as a route runner, a pretty limited route tree. And, um, you know, it was a, a lot of uh, a lot of screens and kind of like easy bucket throws, easy button throws yeah. um, for him. But what I really liked for it was for a big receiver, like, I know he can come in and um, was used around the formation as a run blocker and really, really flashed uh, in that role. And I just feel like he could be like that at the very least can be that dirty work player for you uh, and then come in as a big body like he could be a a possession threat for you on the outside. Yeah, no, I I, he was a guy I didn't know a whole lot about until I watched his tape, because if I'm not mistaken, he had a good senior bowl week, did he not? I, be- I believe so. I believe so. Obviously, it was yeah. not down there, but I believe there were some good reviews from his yeah, and I thought there was a, mobile. There's a physical presence to his overall movement and as a route runner. He looked big on tape. He played big. He has stride length. I thought that he caught the ball consistently with his hands. He made tough catches away from his frame. Um, he worked the middle of the field effectively. Thought he showed good body control, strong hands. Um, I think there's a lot to like about this kid. You know, you always have to wonder when you make the transition, when is he truly ready to play and be more than what you suggested? Because maybe early on, that's what he is. But, uh, yep. you know, again, and we don't know these kids, and, you know, we certainly don't know the work ethic and the approach. But let's assume that's all positive. I think there's a lot there with this kid. You know, one guy that I actually wrote down, and I think he could be this kind of player overall, and it wouldn't shock me if, like, if he had Brandon LaFell's career, like, like in terms ah. of like that kind of receiver. Um, and it, it took a little bit for LaFell to kind of like carve out a, a role as a as a pass catcher, but um, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if that was kind of the career arc there for Jonathan Mingo. Um, Let's go to uh, our next position here, and that's going to be linebacker. Two guys I think are going to be really interesting to discuss. Jack Campbell from Iowa. I'm a big fan of Jack Campbell. And then you go over to Clemson with Trenton Simpson. But let's start uh, with Jack Campbell from the Hawkeyes. Well, I got to tell you, I really like this guy on tape. Yeah. I don't know I don't know what your feeling is, but he I re- was – Greg, I really like him on tape. Really, really like him on film. Oh, my God. I, he, to me, was one of the most enjoyable players I've seen – up to this point. And like I yep. said, it's not as if I've seen 200 yet. But, you know, he's basically a stack backer, okay? Some snaps outside because of formation, but he's essentially a stack backer. Um, I think he's a really, really good run defender. He's got great size, which is a trait, by the way. He's got physicality. He can stack and shed. 
He's got really high-level key and diagnose, read and react traits. He's patient. He plays with vision. Then he's decisive when he sees it. I mean, he, he showed an innate feel for when to attack downhill with aggressiveness and physicality and when to play with patience and more assignment integrity. And I tell you what, I kept watching this guy. I don't think he ever got caught up in the wash, Fran. I mean, this guy just has a feel for for seeing it and, and working through it. And you, I don't recall plays any plays. He just he got caught up in the wash. Yep. I think he play, he plays through contact extraordinarily well. He reads yep. things really fast. He's a yep. really good tackler. He's got a, a nose for the football in traffic, able to kind of pick through the trash like you mentioned. He's a really good zone coverage player as well. We're and really that's the thing. Good. That he's gonna, he's not going to test well in two weeks at the combine. He's not going to be like this quality tester. I'd be surprised if he was anyway. Oh, but no. I wouldn't be surprised if he runs a little better than people might think. He's big. He's long. I mean, he made play after play after play running people down outside the numbers. I mean, you know, and so, again, he's not going to be a 4-5 four, four, guy. We know that. Right. But I don't think he's going to be a 4-9 guy either. Um, no, that's why I, th- I feel like it'll be, you know, he's going to run like a 4-7-2, and everyone's going to be like, oh, no, he's, a, he's a day three guy. He can't run. He can't run. No, he's, he's not going to be a Rocky Middle cover. He's a, for a zone coverage defense, and which that's the majority of what teams are playing, I like, yeah, you, you don't want him isolated one-on-one with Alvin Kamara, all right? That's, a, that's not a winning uh, proposition for him. Um, but this guy, his eyes are always in the right place. He reads the quarterback so, so well. There were so many plays. It, honestly, it's very similar to the conversation we would have about T.J. Edwards coming out of Wisconsin was that he always was in the right place and was taking away throws in the middle of the field. I feel like Jack Campbell does a lot of those same things. Yeah, except Jack Campbell's 6'5". Um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And and while you wouldn't call him an elite athlete, you know, with twitch and sudden movement, he's a better athlete than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for. I mean, you know, he when he uh, retreated in zone coverage, he was pretty comfortable and pretty smooth. The interception he made against C.J. Stroud was an athletic interception. And I think... He's a guy that would likely begin his career as a base defense linebacker, but I think he will be a three-down linebacker once he gains experience. There was really not much not to like about the way Jack Campbell played football. No, I, I totally agree, and that's why it'll be interesting to kind of juxtapose his report with Trenton Simpson. This is a player that has been in a lot of round one mock drafts throughout the course of the, the summer into the fall, uh, and still to this point, you'll still see him pop up in mock drafts. This is Trenton Simpson, the linebacker from Clemson. Uh, what are your thoughts here on Simpson and what you've seen from him on tape? Yeah, and, and to me, you know, you're going to see a lot of, of the comparison possibly to Isaiah Simmons. But Simpson's a stack backer. I mean, that's what he is. Okay. And, and there's a starting point. You know, every team must start with where you're going to line him up. He's a stack backer. He's got length. He's got athletic movement. He's, he's, you know, he's much more of a pure run and chase player than Campbell. He's, you know, he's got that inside out, sideline to sideline, play speed and range. Not that Campbell can't do that, but that's Simpson's game. He's a really good athlete. Um, he's not as good in the box as Campbell. Um, you know, he's, I would say that his energy level was high. He had a really good playing personality. There's certainly a, an impact playmaking element to his game that I think can be further cultivated. Um, so he's going to be looked upon, which is why we're seeing his name in the first round, because he's got that desirable size, speed, athleticism profile that everybody wants now at linebacker in the NFL. Um, so, you know, I think he fits that mold. He's a long, fluid athlete. Yeah, and that was the thing that I was most interested in coming into this year because in years past, he had been, um, you know, kind of a, a halfway player. He spent a lot of time in the slot, but uh, this year was much more of a box player. Uh, yes. And so I was interested to see him make that transition. A lot of the reported test numbers on him are going to be really, really impressive. Um, 6'3", 240, not a small player at all. Um, so I, I am fascinated to really dive into the film from this year and get a better sense of just how he looked as a stacked player, dealing with contact and all those things that he didn't necessarily see in previous iterations of that defense. And I thought as this season progressed, because I watched quite a few games, 
I thought as the season progressed, Fran, he got better and better in terms of of using his hands and playing off contact because that's something I think that he you know needed to get better at. He, certainly, if you're a stacked linebacker, which I think he is now, obviously he's got a little more natural quickness and twitch than Campbell. He's just a, you know an overall more elite type athlete. I don't think he's as good a football player as Campbell, but the athletic traits will stand out. Yeah, and that's going to be the question that people will say is, all right, well, Campbell's the better player if we're lining up tomorrow, but you know, in uh, uh, October of 2026, who's the better football player? Who's the more impactful player for our defense? Um, <clears throat> that's where those conversations will come up with those two players, uh, who's yep. got the ability to be more of an impact player, uh, which will be fascinating. Let's now uh, finish this up with a couple quarterbacks. And you know, this, this senior group of quarterbacks is not a, a whole lot to write home about. Uh, there was a lot talked about down at the Senior Bowl, probably – it's going to be the first time in a long time that the Senior Bowl does not have a round one quarterback. Um, but two guys that were down there, Clayton Toon from Houston, Jake Hayner from Fresno State, who ended up winning the MVP of the game, I believe. Um, let's talk, first start with Clayton Toon from uh, the Cougars. What did you think of Clayton Toon? Yeah, I thought that, you know, watching his tape uh, from this season, I, it was his third year in the system. And I guess I was kind of surprised that early in the season, first four or five games, he kind of struggled with where to go with the football. I thought he struggled with his field vision and his route recognition. I thought he was indecisive because of it. I didn't think he was particularly efficient from the pocket. That resulted in premature movement. You know, and as I said, it was his third season in Dana Hogerson's offense, and that kind of surprised me. Now, I thought as the season progressed, he looked like a different quarterback. He he played with more decisiveness from the pocket. He understood where to go with the ball. He turned it loose within the timing and rhythm of the pass game. I thought he made some really, really good intermediate window throws versus zone coverage. Um, he's got some, I don't think he's a big arm kid. He's got some arm talent limitations, uh, which I think result from his lower body mechanics issues. So I don't know if that can be fixed. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. Um, you know, I think that he's got movement ability, which showed up more and more as this year p- progressed. You know, he can he can make second reaction plays. You can run the boot game with him. Um, you know, I guess the question with him is whether people will see him as can he become a quality starter over time with coaching and development, or is he essentially a backup? And I think that that will be in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, I saw the same things as you in terms of what he looked like early on in the season. It was a, a frustrating lack of yeah. anticipation in that offense where, you know, you'd see him drop back and there's the throw. They're very well defined. You know, it's a, yeah. hey, it's this, this dig route here in the middle of the field. It's uh, this slant route. It's this comeback. And he just didn't throw the football. Uh, and so no. there were a number of those plays. But as the season went on, you start to see the comfort level, uh, you know, kind of return to form there. Um, the decision-making, I think, has to improve. Uh, what I love most, uh, the, the touch to all areas of the field was really impressive. Um, he will be an older, uh, older rookie. He'll be a 24-year-old 24, 24 uh, when he takes the field as a rookie. But um, I think overall, there, there's a lot to like in terms of a potential backup down the road. Now, I think you could say the same thing about Jake Hayner from Fresno State. This is a guy we've talked about plenty here on the show. Uh, what did you see from Hayner? I don't think you and I have talked about him yet. Uh, I really like Jake Hayner. Now, having said too. that, I'm not sitting here telling you that he's a starting quarterback day right. one and he's going to be a, a Hall of Famer. Um, and, and, and look, obviously you're dealing with a guy who's 6 feet 208, okay? So he's got the lack of desirable size and the certainly long-held belief that stems from historical precedent that six-foot quarterbacks who are essentially pocket players, which he is. I mean, he moves well, but he's essentially a pocket player. That six-foot quarterbacks don't really succeed in this league for the most part. Um, So that's, you know, obviously going against him. But he's physically and mentally quick twitch. I mean, he's got a strong sense of timing and rhythm. He's decisive turning the ball loose. Um, You know, that showed up in every game. Um, he's, He's physically and mentally tough. He's competitive. Yep. He can make second reaction movement throws. I think he's efficient. Um, I thought he showed Fran, and I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see him yet. Um, I thought he showed higher level elimination and isolation traits. Yep. He knows how to work progressions. He knows how to manipulate coverage. I mean, I think he's a really good quarterback who just has limited size. And, you know, I, I think his, his arm is above average. It's not a gun, but he, he does not have issues making throws. So, you know, I think many will see him as a backup. I'd be very curious where his career goes, depending on who drafts him and where he'd be three, four years down the road. 
you know, it's it's funny. I think one of the big talking points this spring will be everybody saying, oh, who's the next Brock Purdy? Who's the next Brock Purdy? Right, who could be the, yeah, day, yeah, the, yeah. the day three guy that can step in and be a starter? To me, that is Jake Hayner in this class. I think when you look at all the things that you just talk, talked about, you know, one of, the, one of the things I wrote down, just really decisive getting through progressions, always oh. calm and collected, even on the move, um, accurate from clean pockets, muddy pockets, and on the run. The ball placement was pretty consistent overall. He, he's, I thought he had repetitive throwing mechanics. There were just a lot to really, really like uh, about I, the way I he agree. takes care of the football, um, the way that he plays the position, but as you mentioned, um, the size will be a factor. The arm talent, the overall like velocity, power as a thrower are, are going to be unimpressive, right? So uh, seeing him throw in shorts and t-shirt uh, in a couple weeks, that's not going to blow people away, but I think the way that he plays the, the position, uh, he's going to have a lot of fans, I, I think, as we go through the rest of the process. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, my final point in my transition, I said I would not be surprised if Hayner emerged as an NFL starter down the road, but that will be highly dependent on coach and scheme. And, and yeah. you know, obviously he's not going to be for everyone. You can't just drop him into any offense. He's, as we've said, he's smaller than ideally desired. He, you could argue he has no outstanding physical traits, nothing high level or elite about him physically. So yep. there's going to be a lot of teams that look at this guy and immediately say backup. And that may well be yep. what he is. But there's right. something about his game. I mean, there's a toughness to this kid. You know, for whatever it's worth, you and I have, have talked about this. I'm not a believer in the word it. Oh, he's got the it factor. But he certainly made a lot of plays in fourth quarter of games. He's mentally tough. He's physically tough. Um, was it the UCLA game in, in 2021? Was that the game where he had the injury, the oblique injury? And that he cl- it clearly impacted his ability to throw, and he kept just making throws and throws and throws on two late TD drives? I mean, this against kid Against a Power is, 5 team and on a win against right. for Fresno State. Yeah, yep. Right, so I mean, this kid is is physically and mentally tough, and he's super competitive. Um, you know, you and I don't know the kid, but I would guarantee that he's one of those guys that teammates respond to. Um, and you know what? He made a lot of good throws this year. I mean, throws that I'm not saying they were Josh Allen throws or Patrick Mahomes throws, but he made a lot of good throws. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the way he works the middle of the field as well. It just shows yeah. a lot of comfort working in, uh, working in traffic. There, that was one of the other things I uh, hadn't brought up yet. But um, I mean, just, he's a good player. Just he's a good player. Yeah, I mean, here, I thought his college tape, and again, this is all stuff that I type out. You know, you take notes as well. I thought his college tape showed a quarterback who played to the details and subtleties and nuances of the position. He was a higher-level processor. He had really good field vision. He had a refined feel for the timing and rhythm of the passing game. You saw him work through progressions. You saw him make tight window throws, and like I said, he has off-the-charts competitive toughness. I mean, I thought there was a a lot to like about this kid, but we know how he'll he'll be seen, and, and maybe that's fair, too. Yep, no question. Well, uh, Greg, the six players up, six players down. Really appreciate you joining us here once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Uh, we will talk to you again uh, next week as we get ready for the Combine in Indianapolis. All right, Fran, sounds good. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's now transition as I welcome in my friend Ben Fennell to go through uh, not only Dane Brugler's top 100, but also a new mock draft over with Todd McShay of ESPN. And Ben, we will start with the former. Let's look at uh, Dane's top 100. I just want to ask you three big takeaways. We're going to see a lot of these uh, power rankings start to come out, positional rankings, top five in each position, top 100s, all of that. Um, What's your thought right now as we sit here uh, in mid-February on this class and when you look at uh, Dane's list? Yeah, two of the more respected analysts in the business, Dane Brugler, Todd McShay. When they speak, we listen, and let's dive into their thoughts and opinions. Dane put out his top 100, I guess, post-senior bowl, pre-combine timeline right now, just to hammer it into draft season here, two weeks out from the combine. Love the top 100 list just to see who he's valuing high, who the NFL is valuing high, and you're starting to see a little bit more positional depth at certain spots with those 100 picks and not just a round one or two mock draft that you finish after 32 or 64. But firstly, Fran, Peter Skaronsky, heck of a player. I don't think either of us are going to challenge the fourth overall player in this class very much here. But is he one of the more boring top 10 players we've kind of considered over the last, you know, five, 10 years? 
Mm. It might be, and that's the thing, is that like uh, if you're going to pick boring for any position, offensive line is probably the one you're going to pick it no out. Question. Pick it out right? No question. Uh, that, that's probably the one where you do want a guy to be boring. Being boring um, pro line is, is also a good thing, but you know, I'm putting together his breakdown tape for DJ for the combine. So, so technically sound, balanced base, really on the ground. He just doesn't have those wow plays. He's not a, you know, a mauler. He's not a finisher, not tons of pancakes, not tons of plays in space but so technically sound, so reliable, you know, and he's a quiet presence out there. He's one of those guys that you're not excited for 70 plays and you finish the game. You're like, I don't think his guy sniffed the quarterback once. He's just one of those prospects. So really good player. Fourth overall, I think is appropriate. Just not a whole lot of juice, I think, behind his buzz. Well, I think it's going to be, you know, it's something you and I have talked about a little bit. We always make the joke when we do the mock draft roundup of like, all right, like we know the first four picks. Now who's number five, right? And I think that that kind of speaks. We're, we're enough you know, further along down the road of this draft process now to get a sense of how most people view it. And that's, you know, it's not the deepest class at the top. It's not loaded with blue chip talent. And you're going to hear a lot of analysts over the next couple of months say, oh, I only have... 12 first round grades or 14 or 16 first round grades in a typical draft I have 22 right you're you're going to hear stuff like that and that does not mean that there are uh, that there aren't any good players in this class. I think what this means is that this is going to be a beauty in the eye of the beholder class where every team is going to have some different guys that are mixed in at the top and what that means for us on the outside not with a team is that Mock drafts and things like that, it's going to be a complete roll of the dice. So there are going to be some shockers when we get to, mid, uh, to late April in terms of who goes off the board at number 9 or at number 12 or 15, right? There's going to be some shockers there where it's like, oh, we were only talking about that guy there. I feel like we're going to have a handful of those picks. And you know, maybe it is Peter Skronsky at 4, right? Something, something like that where it's like, whoa, we didn't really talk about that, but certainly could happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Rashawn Slater was pretty boring, too. And I think the Los Angeles Chargers have no problem taking uh, a boring player there and uh, looking back and laughing. Next... Which, which, by the way, uh, I think if, we, if that's the other side of the coin to look at it with this class, too, is that if you're struggling to find that blue-chip player at number 8 or number 9 or number 12, right, you might then say, hey, you know what, let's not risk it. Let's keep this one on the fairway. Let's kind of lay up and hit the ground roll double and be happy. And so that's where a Peter Skaronsky might be attractive and say, all right, you kind of know what you're getting. Let's rather than uh, reach for somebody that we're not quite sure and it's kind of, we're kind of grading off flashes, maybe you keep it safe and we see more of those guys go early on in the draft fully in the floor ceiling reach projection uh, type of conversation Fran I love this tight end class Dane has seven in his top 100 but I can immediately run off another seven or eight that I think are going to be in the top 150 200 we Mm -hmm. had 19 tight ends drafted last year also in 2015 I just feel like it takes these lulls sometimes where it's such a hybrid position you have like you know Converted tackles, big receivers, you know, uh, fullbacks that are oversized, moving to H-backs. This class, you have some true Y and U tight ends out there that are 250, 260 pounds, that have played in line with good athleticism. I'm really excited to see it. I'm not going to challenge Dane on his seven, but I think Payne Durham's right there after. I'm excited to see Josh Wiley. He's every bit of 6'6", 260 out there. He's going to look good at the combine. Let's see what Noah Gindorf has at North Dakota State. And a lot of interesting guys. Will Mallory can contribute to somebody's pass game. He has some vertical stretch ability. Davis Allen's played a lot of ball. I like the tight end class. And seeing seven in the top ten of Dane, I think that's appropriate. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good group. It's a really deep group. Um, I guess the question is, because we talked about that actually last year in the show as well, where, hey, you know what, this tight end group, is really strong, especially when you get to day three. There's a lot of depth, and it didn't really affect the overall number of guys drafted. It was still kind of par for the course, and then it was like, oh, well, teams got bargains uh, with an undrafted free agency. There were some guys that you know made 53s that uh, you know that were not drafted. But uh, I think with this group, I think you you will probably see more uh, a higher rate of those guys taken on day two and day three. Yeah, and I love seeing you know teams like the Eagles and the Chiefs, you know, who fill out their tight ends rooms with some very interesting bodies, and whether it's the Noah Grays on the other side or here with you know Grant Calcaterra who had an interesting college career or um, the Jack Stoll type of guy these are guys that maybe aren't valued high in the draft maybe get taken on day three these guys fill out your roster and are asked to contribute big roles so I feel like sometimes you don't care about those middling second third tight ends in the summer and then all of a sudden in November and December we want them to block the backside D end and it's like right. let's put some more value at draft time to these guys let's move over to a receiver 
13 receivers in his top 100, Fran. The interesting takeaway, aside from some guys maybe missing out of that list, we can argue that, only four of those 13 are over 200 pounds. Mm. And I just feel like, you know, some interesting guys that are over 200 pounds not on there. Obviously, Kayshawn Boutte, you know, Dontavian Wicks, Rasheed Rice, Michael Wilson, Rakeem Jarrett is going to run in maybe 438 at 205 pounds. Mingo's an interesting player. Uh, Ashavas from Princeton could be this year's Christian Watson, the way he runs and his size. So I just think, you know, we're getting a little bit more acceptable of bumping up the smaller gadget, deep threat, you know, maybe slot presence over some of the size. And I just keep saying, don't overlook size and strength in the NFL to get open. And I know, you know, not all of these guys are burners and big play guys, but hey, on third and four, we need someone to catch a slant for six yards with a press corner on his back. Not every 180-pound guy can do that. And I'll, yep. you know, I'll be applaud the Garrett Wilsons and the Tyler Lockett's and the small guys that are dominant in this league, but don't overlook size and strength at the receiver position. Only four yep. Out of that 13 that Dane put in the top 100, over 200 pounds. Mm. And honestly, the receiver position is almost like a microcosm of this draft in general because there's not that blue chip guy that everyone's really, really excited about, but there's a group at the top where you're like, you, know, you kind of pick your flavor and say, oh, yeah, I, re- yeah. I really like Jackson Smith and Jigba or Jordan Addison, or hey, I really like Quentin Johnson, right? You're, there's all different kinds of body types and skill sets in this group, but none of them are like slam dunk finished products with no questions to their name. And so that's what will make uh, how those guys are stacked in April, really, really interesting to follow. Yeah, I think it's going to be a mega run on receivers from like 20 to 50, and it could just be filling your needs. So it may not necessarily be the stacking order of the receivers, but based on those teams that need certain presence in the offense, whether it's a big X, a slot guy, a gadget guy, an over-the-top guy, X, Y, and Z. My last point here, 100 players, the one that pained me not to see on that list, Sidney Brown out of Illinois, mm, who I think will yep. be a big riser. His film reminds me a lot of Talanoa Hufanga at a USC, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, had some medicals. I think we're all kind of looking back to say they got a great value pick out of that. Sidney Brown plays 100 miles an hour, does a lot of different things on that defense. I don't really know where the NFL is intrigued with him at the moment. I have him as like a early round three, mid-day two type of presence right now. But I think he's a heck of a player, smart kid, experienced, and he's going to be a riser through the spring. I kind of view, view him as similar in ways to uh, like Jalen Petrie, and they were used sure. different in college. But like if, if you're talking about what they can bring to a defense and the role that they can play, I think there are definitely some similarities there. Um, and we were both high on Petrie last spring, and he had a you know yeah. for all intents and purposes. Javon Holland the year before, you know yeah. Dax Hill, these guys that can kind of do everything, play some nickel, play some top down, play some you know matchup positions, great blitzer. Don't forget Chase Brown, his younger brother, he went to Illinois to join him. You know, Sidney Brown was already there as a Division I uh, recruit. Chase joined him coming from Western Michigan. But Sidney Brown's a really good player. Don't overlook this kid. All right, well, with that said, let's now transition over to our mock draft roundup. Again, Todd McShay, ESPN, dropped his second mock draft <coughs> of draft season. And uh, the top four, we've got an interesting one here, uh, Ben, and we're, I think we're going to start to get more buzz uh, about this, and that's the Colts trading up to number one with the Chicago Bears after uh, uh, the Colts owner Jim Irsay mentioned Bryce Young uh, in that press conference for Shane Steichen and you know, then uh, tweeted out that he's got a long history with the Bears. I think there's going to be a lot of smoke uh, with this potential trade. So the Colts trading up. They take Bryce Young at number one. Houston then takes C.J. Stroud, the quarterback from Ohio State, at number two. Will Anderson goes to Jonathan Gannon and the Arizona Cardinals at number three. The Chicago Bears still end up with Jalen Carter at number four. And then Tyree Wilson, who he's becoming like the chalk pick uh, in all these mock drafts at number five for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he rounds out the top five. But, uh, again, like I said, I think this, this trade idea, the, the Colts moving up to number one, that's going to catch plenty of heat. We'll see if uh, it actually happens here uh, in the coming weeks. It absolutely will will and should and it's going to be an arms race i think for those that number one pick because you know frank Reich out in carolina he wants his quarterback of the future to start things off on the right foot same thing in indianapolis there with our uh, old buddy shane steichen we wish him the best these guys these offensive minded new head coaches are going to want their guy of the future so let's see who maybe has that extra pull of their GM to say, no, throw in that extra future pick or let's throw in that veteran, you know, with the high salary or whatever you need to do. It's going to be an arms race to go trade with Chicago. And I'd be sitting back uh, in Chicago and my feet up on the desk, just fielding phone calls and taking the best offer. So could be a late 
combine two week after in the pro day right. circuit that you know an early type of trade very much the way uh, we've seen the past few years with some of these teams moving up very early in the process yeah, we've seen teams move up to number one. We've seen teams move up to number two. We've seen teams move up to number three. Uh, and we've over seen this teams next, move like, three, multiple times, too. So if you see right. that team maybe a little bit out there and uh, Washington can't go, possibly move up, don't overlook that. We've seen the double dip before. We did it here in Philadelphia to get Carson Wentz just uh, five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, Josh, uh, when the Bills got Josh Allen, remember they made that trade sure, yeah. um, with the tackle. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, they traded to Cincinnati. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Now, now this is going to bother me, and I have to look this up. Um, the, the Bills traded the left tackle from Georgia. Uh, tackle from Georgia to the Bengals. This is, gr- this is a great Google search. No, they trade Cordy Glenn, Cordy Glenn in in spring of 2018, and that that helped them move up uh, to get Josh Allen. That was done, again, in the spring leading up to the draft. Uh, Let's now get to the number 10 pick, the Eagles' first pick in this mock draft, and uh, Todd has them selecting Clemson defensive lineman Brian Brezzi, and here's the blurb, a two-paragraph blurb from Todd. He said, the loaded Eagles roster went to the Super Bowl for good reason, and GM Howie Roseman's focus on building out from the trenches proved valuable, but now they could lose three of the top four defensive linemen in terms of snap counts to free agency, including Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox up the middle. Roseman drafted Jordan Davis in round one last April, and bringing in Brezzi to pair with him could shore up an important unit for the team. Brezzi has fantastic upper upper body strength to slow down opponent run games and work through blockers as an interior pass rusher. Philly might have had 14 wins, but will have a lot of offseason concerns to address, mainly on defense. Joining Hargrave and Cox with expiring contracts are James Bradbury, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Brandon Graham, Robert Quinn, Kaiser White, T.J. Edwards, Marcus Epps, and Isaac Sayamalu. So there are a lot of directions to go here. I also still like the idea of Texas's Bijan Robinson in Philadelphia with Miles Sanders headed to free agency, but it's really, really early for a running back, and the defense is going to have all those holes to plug. Remember, the Eagles also have a second first rounder. So, Ben, it feels like the, um, the buzz on Brian Brezzi has cooled a little bit with these mock drafts. You and I both are very high on Brian Brezzi, uh, but it is good to see that there's still some positive momentum out there on him as a prospect being considered in the top 10, top 12 of this draft. Are you done uh, reciting the free agents? I got yeah, up there. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> the list, the, the list uh, just feels like it never ends. Yes. Right. Yeah, but Brian Brezzi is an interesting player. I think he's going to be uh, coveted in the middle of the first round. He's a really strong player. I don't know if he's going to be an exceptional tester. Um, so we'll see, you know, how maybe some of the interviews go and maybe he can uh, pump that bench press a few times, show off his strength. But this isn't an exceptional athlete, but a guy that wins with brute strength, power in his hands, great get off and some positional flex and he can play up and down the line. Kind of reflecting to this Eagles team and filling some holes. I don't see him that much different from a Fletcher Cox type of player. Now, Fletcher out of Mississippi State had what we used to jokingly say grown man strength. He had some mm-hmm. unexplainable strength in his hands, some power, with some pretty fleet of foot ability and some pretty light, nimble feet. He could play off the edge sometimes, but uh, it was a guy that really won with that brute power from that three-tech position. I think he embodies that a little bit more than the Javon Hargrave type of role, who is more of a shake-stutter, uh, really interesting upfield one-tech, really unique player in Javon Hargrave. But Brian Brezzi, I think, would be a great addition to this Eagles team and kind of retool in the trenches, but... There's going to be a lot of teams out there that can use a D-tackle, D-end hybrid that just beats people's face in as a three-down player. So, uh, you know, Brian Brezzi is a fun player to watch. Interested to see kind of how his buzz goes after Indianapolis. Yeah, obviously medicals will be a big deal for him uh, once he gets down to Indianapolis. And remember, uh, the Eagles' defense uh, changing schemes here with no Jonathan Gannon. And so whoever the new defensive coordinator will be, that might dictate the kinds of players you're looking at uh, up front for this team as well. So something to monitor here in the coming weeks. Um, Ben, the, uh, the three guys that went off the board just before, the three that went right after, the Raiders selecting quarterback Will Levis from Kentucky. The Falcons taking Peter Skaronsky, the left tackle from Northwestern. The Panthers taking Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. Then at number 11, after the Eagles pick, Ohio State left tackle Paris Johnson to the Titans. Houston Texans wide receiver Quentin Johnson is the pick there at number 12. And then the Jets at number 13 take Georgia left tackle Broderick Jones. So, uh, Ben, of those six picks, which would you feel you're most confident would happen as we sit here on February 16th? Uh, if you had to pick one of them that you're like, oh, yeah, I feel really good about this one, which one would it be? It, I think it's going to take me to that six pick, that Broderick Jones pick sitting there. So if those yeah. first 12 are off the board, the Jets are sitting there, they can use some offensive line, particularly a young tackle of the future, Broderick, let's lock that in. But I'm not confident that the quarterbacks will be there or if that's their preference. 
not confident Atlanta is not going to take a quarterback there at eight, especially with Richardson sitting right on the board there. And then uh, obviously Tennessee and Houston, two teams that I think have some, you know, a litany of some roster holes to fill. I'm not positive it's going to be Quentin Johnson for offensive firepower. I'm not positive Tennessee would go offensive line or how they view Paris Johnson, who I actually think is a very contentious prospect. I think we see him mocked in the front half of round one. Yeah, I don't know if he is a ready-to-play tackle in the NFL right now. I think he has some work and uh, maybe better suited at guard from what I hear. Yeah, I, to me, uh, Skaronski at number eight to Atlanta checks a lot of boxes for me when you look at the players that uh, that regime has drafted these last two drafts uh, since being installed there in Atlanta. Terry Fontenot at general manager, Arthur Smith at head coach. And Fran, we were just talking about Skaronski. That's like a perfect scenario here. Do yeah, you go right. boring, safe, O-line? Let's keep putting coals in the fire there. Or do you get a little juicy, get a little risky, go a little projection there, get a quarterback of the future, a more high-variant player? That's like perfectly what you said. Skaronski is a great fit there. Yeah, but it's like, are you a little too intrigued with all those other glittery prospects around them? They they have really trended towards like meat and potatoes players, like really yep. tough players. Like they said, if you go back and listen to like press conference quotes after the last draft and after their first draft in 2021, everything was like, hey, you want you want to build a tough team, you got to draft tough players. And they're like tough, hard nosed. You say that over and over and over with a lot of the guys that you bring up. And for all of Skaronsky's flaws, you're never going to question that kid's competitiveness and, and his, his uh, uh, you know the the way that he likes to finish blocks. That that is a strength of his game, no question. I think the per, the positional versatility potentially uh, could. Help them there as well because obviously they have um, some tackles already on board. But I feel like uh, Stockton fans would, would feel like they're getting another Lindstrom. But you know who's All one right. of their best players right now? It's Chris Lindstrom. You know, it's like yep. so it's funny how that goes full circle. All right, well, let's stay with the offensive line here because uh, the Eagles' number two pick here in the first round, coming in at number 30, Oklahoma tackle Anton Harrison. And here's the blurb from Todd. It has been a while since the Eagles were first on the clock at number 10 when they took a defensive tackle, Brian Brezzi. Now Philadelphia pivots to the other side of the ball but stays in the trenches. The Eagles have Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata under contract for three more years, but Harrison could provide depth and perhaps help out on the interior where the team might lose a couple of starters this offseason. He walls off defenders and has allowed just two sacks over three seasons. Perhaps more importantly for Philly's offense, he has blown just seven run blocks over that time. So, uh, Ben, what are your thoughts on uh, Anton Harrison, who was in a lot of mock drafts over the summer in, in like, the teens? Like, that was kind of, you know, the, the, we'll say, like, anywhere from, like, 14 to 22. That was, like, a popular landing spot for him. Uh, it feels like that has cooled off a little bit, but we have seen some buzz for him late in round one. What do you think of him there at number 30? Yeah, I think he's a starting tackle in the NFL, and I think he's just getting better and better. Two weeks ago, he turned 21 years old. He's a two-year starter in the, the Big 12 out there, all at left tackle, and he looks really good. He plays the part. He's tall. He's long. He's high cut, has very nimble feet, has strong hands, gets off the ball very well, can work on the second level or out in the space. You want some good competition. I know the Big 12 hasn't produced tons of NFL elite rushers of late, but they got the Felix Anduke kid at K-State, shut him down, Tyree Wilson, Texas Tech, TCU at Dylan Horton, Iowa State's got the – um, Will McDonald kid that does spin moves every other play. So you want to yeah, see him right. against some twitched-up NFL-style players, go put on any of the tape the past two years. But, you know, he's a little high. He's a little high cut, needs to play with a little, little better knee bend and some leverage. Needs to get stronger, too. But I keep seeing clips. He's working with Paul Alexander now, NFL offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. I think he's getting better and better. He really looks the part out there. Reminds me a little bit of a Khalif Barnes, if you remember him, uh, a few years yeah, back. Yeah, Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, no question. Played some time with the Raiders as well. So I think he's a guy who can come in and play right away. He's very young, and it's these types of picks that you look back on in two, three years. You're like, yeah, he's 24 years old, and he was just an NFL starter for three years. Mm -hmm. So I think the guys that really value the age factor as well, this is a first-round tackle to consider all day long, and maybe even so to a team that doesn't need a tackle right away, potentially a Philadelphia. So I love that fit there, and I love the projection. Yeah, and again, you're this is an organization that is always not just for what you need this year, but keeping an eye down the line. You saw no that uh, with Jordan Davis. You saw that with Cam Jurgens. You saw it with Nicobe Dean. Their top three picks from a year ago. Not none of them playing hugely prominent roles here as rookies. And so you definitely can keep that in mind for this team in mock drafts. Um, real quick, the the six players that went right around that Eagles pick uh, at 25, the Giants selecting Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys at 26 taking Florida guard Osiris Torrance. At 27, the Buffalo Bills 
selecting running back Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. At 28, the Cincinnati Bengals selecting athletic tight end Dalton Kincaid from Utah. And then at number 29, the pick before the Eagles, the New Orleans Saints select pass rusher Keon White from Georgia Tech, the versatile inside-out player. The pick after the Eagles, the Kansas City Chiefs, they take Maryland left tackle Jalen Duncan. So we'll talk through uh, a couple of these. But, Ben, of those six picks, what's the biggest shock? Which one caught you by surprise? You know, I think it'd be uh, you know not just the Anton Harrison pick going to Philly. I'm shocked because I really enjoy that, but I can go with that next pick, the Jalen Duncan. And yeah, no doubt, that's for me too. I don't, I don't know if it's so much of Jalen Duncan at 31 as much as the pecking order at which the tackles are coming off. Jalen Duncan may be the 31st overall player going off. Right. I think the tackle class dries up really fast. I don't think you're going to find a lot of day two starters out there. I just don't see him as a value prospect over a Darnell Wright, over a Dewan Jones, over a Matthew Bergeron, no question, who has a little bit more inside-outside flexibility. I like Jalen Duncan, a little bit more of a developmental guy, day two type of guy in my opinion, but those guys are going to get bumped up, particularly with the lack of depth in the tackle class. You're going to get to the the Blake Freelands before you know it, and the snap of a finger out there. It's going to dry up really quick. You're going to be deciding between, you know, Asim Richards and, you know, Braden Daniels out of Utah, you know, if you wait till the third round. But Jalen Duncan could be the 31st. I just don't have him above uh, some of the other guys. I think it, uh, he his, his like um, the narrative around Jalen Duncan is going to be fascinating to follow because if you are a strictly by the tape guy, I think you're going to see some traits that you like and you're going to see some things like you know honestly when I studied him in the summer, I was like you know what there's a lot to work with here. He was one of my, I think he was my favorite senior tackle that I did last summer. Um, and then if you d- dive into like a lot of the metrics and like the PFF numbers and stuff like that. He has given up a ton of pass rush production, uh, sacks, pressures, hurries, hits on the quarterback. Um, you know, so, and look, you'll, you'll see that often with guys that play early on in their career. You know, guys are figuring it out early. You're gonna give it. You're gonna. It's gonna have an ugly start to your career. But uh, even this year, as a senior, gave up a lot of production. And so um, the the inconsistencies, I think, are gonna be a talking point with Jalen Duncan. But again, I think when you watch him on tape, there's plenty to like there. Um, I think that'll be an interesting kind of conversation though with him to follow throughout the course of the process. I a thousand percent could see pick. 30 30, yeah, 30 and 31, the last two picks in the first round, being tackle-tackle. Right. Now, will they be these two tackles? I'm not so sure. But All I right. can see both these teams that are often future-thinking, going back to the trenches there and securing the old line for their uh, franchise quarterbacks. Did Dewan Jones go off the board in this mock draft? No, he did not. No, he did not. All right, so that would be an interesting one to follow there um, for the back end of round one. I think I like Dewan Jones, by the way. Yeah. I watched him the other day. I'm a fan of him. He is massive, but he's not a slug out there. I think he's a better prospect than Orlando Brown. I really see him as a Trent Brown prospect today. Mm. Not yeah. Trent Brown out of Florida. That was a mess and was right. a seventh-round pick round and had or, to yeah, work was, his yeah. way up from the 49ers or wherever the heck he was. I really think he's a similar type of player to him today. So if you like that oversized tackle that knows how to use his length and maybe has some space limitations for the scheme, it's gonna be a, he's going to be a fit for you. I see DeWan going late round one, maybe in those spots we were just talking about. Yeah, sure. Um, which one surprised you in terms of a guy that went a little bit later than expected? For me, uh, Christian Gonzalez falling to 17 to Pittsburgh. Uh, my guess is that that will, that will be seen as very late by the time we get to like a couple weeks from now. After those DBs work out, I think Gonzalez is going to blow the doors off that. And you know, everyone's going to be talking about, oh, the production this year with the, with the traits, uh, tough to pass up a guy like that. Um, but him falling at 17 to Pittsburgh, I think might even be a little bit lower than what we're talking about ultimately with Christian Gonzalez. Who doesn't, it's not that he doesn't have holes in his game. Game. But I think that uh, when you're talking about the, the tools and the skill set, uh, guys like that typically go high. Yeah, I completely agree with that one. I think I see him kind of squeezing into the top 10, maybe the back half of uh, the top 10 there and the 10th, 11th, 12th pick in there. Yep. Just collectively, Fran, I really struggle with some positional value, mm. particularly down the pipe. And it's their valuable positions, the linebackers, the safeties, the interior line, the interior D-line. I just feel like we're lacking in some spots. So to see no Trenton Simpson in the first round, no linebacker in the first round, one safety in the first round, I just don't agree with that lack of positional value. And I think there are elite, high-level players to consider. Um, and I think you, you get to September and October and you're mad about the tackling of your safeties and the range of your linebackers, and then you get to every May and we don't value that spot. Well, why not? And we just saw you know Nick Bolton and Willie Gay – you know, destroy the Eagles run game in the Super Bowl Sunday, two high level drafted players that they got great value out of. So I struggle a little bit with some of the positional value. And I think his round one mock kind of reflects a lot of the industry view on that. 
I think it's a it's a fascinating discussion. It might be something maybe we do like a full podcast on, even like when we get to like the summer. Because I think you know one thing I've started looking at is just like. Um, the uh, salary cap numbers for players across the board at different positions. And you see like, all right, well, what does this guy get on a second contract, this level of player, a good starter uh, at center versus a good starter at wide receiver. And you start to see some of the disparity in terms of like, oh, well, you know, I might spend, um, you know, 6% of my salary cap on a number two receiver well, I can get a great center for that same price. So then, then it becomes, all right, well, how do you value that when you get to the draft? Are you looking to get the bargain with, with a, uh, a, dra- a rookie wide receiver? Um, or do you say, like, all right, we, we want to try and reach for, the, reach for the stars and make sure we get that elite player early? I think it's, it's an interesting conversation. It's something that uh, everybody kind of feels, you know, has a certain kind of way that they feel about it. But it, it makes for an interesting discussion. I think it might be something uh, we break down a little bit uh, maybe once we get to the summer. Um, one last question I got for you, though. One guy who goes, speaking of the combine, one guy who goes higher in mock drafts a week from now after the combine. It could be someone that we see in this mock or just uh, in general, maybe someone that didn't appear in it, but uh, someone who goes higher after we leave Indianapolis. All right, I'll serve you on both of those. One that's going to go higher that was in the mock. Okay. Brian Branch, Alabama, yep. nickel, safety, corner, whatever you want to call him. He can play six spots on the back end for exactly the reason we were just saying value versatile defensive backs he is that guy this draft bump him up after the combine and one guy not on this list fran nolan smith outside linebacker defensive end at the university of georgia not entirely sure what he's going to do in indianapolis still recovering from that torn peck but all the buzz i'm hearing is he's ready to tear that place up and wow everybody in the nfl not only on the field but off the field, which we know he's a smart, infectious human being, great kid, smart, a leader. He's a guy you just want to put a mic in front of his face. So I expect the Georgia Bulldogs, very much like last year, were kind of the story and the buzz that whole week in Indianapolis. I expect Nolan Smith really to kick off the party. I'm putting you on the spot here on February 16th. Uh, over under 21 and a half, 21.5 for his draft slot by the time we get to April. Essentially, is Nolan Smith a top 20 pick, do you think? Unfortunately, no, but put him in the 20 to 31 range all day long. Peg me for top 20. Peg me yep. for top 20. Okay. Um, all right. I'm yeah. with you on that. I, I'm, yeah, I'm running it out. might be. You know, I got to bump be up nine, some corners. But... I got to bump up some QBs. I'm talking yep. to tackle class. You got to bump them up. I just made a sales pitch for safeties for some reason. Right. So I might be getting some bump ups here and there. But Nolan Smith, I think the world of Fran. I really, really like him as a prospect. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about his pec yep. or his medicals or his x rays. But when you put on the film and he's playing, he looks ready to go, and I want to see him on on my team on Sundays. All right, the uh, the best names not on the piece. You already mentioned Nolan Smith. Is there anybody else that stands out that was not a part of this mock draft? Yeah, you know, I think some of the edge rushers are, are getting bumped out. The B.J. Ojolaris, the Will McDonald, the Derek Halls. I think some guys will sprint to the podium early round two to go get them. And then there's some speed guys that I think are going to drop a little bit as well. You saw Zay Flowers go to the Giants. They could obviously use some offensive firepower. Kind of came at the expense of Jalen Hyatt, you know, the speedster out of Tennessee, or even a Josh Downs, who I think is one of the best playmaking players right behind a Zay Flowers in this class. So I want to see where some of the speed demons go. And then when do interior offensive linemen come off? We saw Osiris Torrance go to the Cowboys. Great pick. John Michael Schmidt is sitting right there with his hand up saying, who needs a starting center? I'm ready to play. John Michael Schmidt could work his way into round one, uh, like we see every year, whether it's the the uh, Garrett Bradbury's or uh, the Frank Ragnow's or those kind of late in the process centers that find them squeaking their way in around one. That could be John Michael Schmitz. That's a good call. Uh, certainly a name. That, again, we talked about that. I think it was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Lance Zerline had him in the first round mock. And we were like, we kind of nodded our head. We're like, yeah, can definitely see that. Um, you start getting into the positional value stuff again uh, with the center, but uh, I think that will be an interesting one to follow. Ben, uh, great stuff as always. You and I uh, will be back next week. Me, you, Dane Brugler, we're going to split the segment up into two, but it's going to be one giant podcast previewing the NFL Combine, uh, which is now two weeks away, under two weeks away. Actually, two weeks from right now, drills will be underway. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. Two weeks from right now, we'll be in in the middle of uh, front seven. The defensive line and linebackers will be working out in Indianapolis. So next week, we're going to do a full preview. Uh, We'll have Greg Cosell back as well for another Pick 6 segment next week, right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by LifeRand.